Would you agree with me that in this last season of life, much of our life has been lost? Really has. And better yet said, I think, so much has been taken. It really has. But now I really do believe it is time for the people of God to get up and step up and take back our life in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about masks. I'm not here to talk about that. But do you remember years ago, I think it was in the 1990s, there was a movie made. I think Leonardo DiCaprio starred in that movie. And he played so well the story of this young boy. In fact, the actual story is that this young man, when he was 15, his parents went through a terrible divorce, messy divorce. And he was asked by the judge to choose who to live with. And he got real rebellious during that season and everything else. And um, the, the young man's, the boy's name was Frank. And Frank ended up being, <laughs> here's a real thing for you, ended up being the youngest person ever placed on the FBI's most wanted list. Because starting at 15 years old, he learned how to forge checks. And by 22 years of age, Frank Abagnale, Abagnale, whatever it is, by 22 years of age, he had impersonated a district attorney, a physician, even an airline pilot for Pan American Airways. And he began, and it was during that messy divorce of his parents, he made a decision to change his identity and create new identities for himself. And in that moment, at that messy divorce hearing, for six years on a journey of forgery and fraud, because what he did from that moment is that he literally went around the world on a journey that actually took him, I read the article in Wikipedia, took him to 26 different countries, all 50 U.S. states, cashing $2.5 million in fraudulent checks, all before the age of 22. And he would literally go from place to place, assuming people's identities, stealing their identities, <clears throat> pretending to be a college professor at one point, even, and, and it was the most famous case at the time of identity theft. And, and he's the one that started it. Nobody had even heard of that before Frank came along. And maybe you've heard the story <clears throat> or have seen that movie. But what you need to understand beyond anything else is this. That man, that man Frank, had an identity problem. He really did. He didn't know who he was. And here's the truth that I think we need to understand this morning. You and I actually, without realizing, and I don't think anybody's been forging checks in the place, but we do have an identity problem. We don't really understand who we are. Isn't it interesting in the last two years even, 
with masks and with having to be separated and locked down and everything like that, you begin to lose even senses of connection and, and place and everything. And it really works on your identity. It's, it's like my mother-in-law wears a mask and so when she's talking to me, you know, I have to look at people's face to remember. That's how old I am. Okay. It's just that, and, and I, I can't hear well. And so I didn't realize until masks were on, I'm not saying anything for pro or against, I, I couldn't hear people because I read their lips and I didn't realize I actually read people's lips until the mask went on. But my mother-in-law, it, it's funny when you can see only people's eyes, you don't rem, you got to see the whole face in order to remember. So with my mother-in-law, I always tease her because she wears her mask and she's in a retirement center and all that. And I, now, now, who are you again? You know, that, that's how you feel. And you feel like you don't know. There's an identity problem, if you would, you know. And so our, uh, uh, our identity is not that we want to be somebody different than who we really are. Our identity problem is not that we see ourselves differently than people see us, but actually, and I want you to hear me, our greatest identity problem is that we don't see ourselves as God sees us. And that very problem is the source of most of the strife that we experience in life. All of our insecurities, all of our nervousness, all of our worry, so much of the tension that exists in our world today all boils down to this great problem. And you see it and throughout society. We don't see ourselves as God sees us. We really don't. If we could only understand who we are is loved. Who we are is loved with an everlasting love. Who we are is his son or his daughter. Think of the genuine love a father would have for his son or his daughter. See, we see ourselves through the lens of our failures. We, instead of seeing him through the eyes, seeing ourselves rather through the eyes of our father. And I think so many times in life, we begin to label ourselves and we begin to identify as something other than what we really are. And what we need to do, perhaps more than anything else at this moment in time, is to learn how our Heavenly Father sees us. Because if we can learn to look through His eyes, then I believe everything begins to change. And what we need to understand better is this problem that humankind has of seeing ourselves differently than God sees us. And, and this honestly goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. This is not a new paradigm, new problem. No, no, no. This is not a new fad or a new trip. And you're hearing people now and they're all, I mean, this is not new. This is not just relevant with this current generation. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And if we're going to see ourselves the way God sees us, we have to understand a few truths. Now, here's the first one, and I'll put it up on the board. You have a God-given identity. You and I have a God-given identity. Now, some of you, you're thinking, well, I know that. But let me say it again. You, every single one of us, we have a God-given identity. 
that is actually should be for you this morning good news. And perhaps you heard the story, but let me rehearse it for you again. In the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth. We read about that in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. That word Genesis literally means uh, um, uh, beginnings um, and, and, and new things. It, it's the story of how and why God made the world. And more specifically, it's the story of how and why God made us. And if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, these origins, these beginnings we see, it's how we were made. And I don't care if you've heard this scripture a thousand different times before. I really do think the Lord has something for you fresh today that you need to listen and hear. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And God says, it's just what it says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, and they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small uh, of that, uh, animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I would tell you this morning without any fear of contradiction whatsoever, that if we don't understand the significance of what is happening right here in verses 26 and 27 of the first chapter of Genesis, we will never understand who we are in Christ. We will never ever solve our identity problem till we understand what is happening right here. I love the book of Genesis because I love reading about the way God created the world and why he created the world. I, I'm always amazed when I read this by God's power and his creativity in everything that he creates. And, and when you read this story in the book of Genesis, take note, you probably know this, but he creates the world with just his words. I mean, think about the power of sovereign God. He opens his mouth, says one word, and something's created. I mean, how cool is that? Come on, amen. Chevrolet Corvette doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? It wish it could, you know. He literally speaks everything into existence. And so the spirit of God hovers over the waters and God begins to speak. And with his voice, he calls mountains forth from the sea. He sets the stars in their place in the sky. And God speaks every part of the world into existence just by opening his mouth and speak. Just by his words until this very moment that we just read. Because when God made human beings, humankind, he made them differently than the way he made the rest of the world. Because while the world was formed with his words, humankind is the very first thing that God touches. It's what sets you and I apart 
from all of the rest of creation. It's what makes us different than anything else in that God created more than a syllable when he made us. What he did is he handcrafted from the dust of the ground. It's the very first thing that God touches. If that fact doesn't change something for us, we miss the point of the story. Bible tells us you were made in the image of God. You were handcrafted by the creator of the universe. The Bible then actually goes on to say that God breathed his breath into Adam and Eve. So, so stop right there and think about this for a moment. You were made in the image of God by the hand of God, and you have in you the breath of God. You were made in the image of God by the hands of God, and you have inside of you the breath of God. I mean, if we could figure that out, I mean, like right at that moment, close up the Bible and say amen and go home, if we could get that. If we could just figure that out and believe that truth about us, I, be, I believe it would begin to solve so many of the problems we face in this life. And I'm not talking about just people out there. I'm talking about people in here. We're made in the image of God by the hand of God, and you have the breath of God inside of you. Now, the word image that you read about here in chapter uh, 1 of Genesis is really a very important word and concept. It's the Hebrew word to sell them. Okay? Now, I know you didn't come this morning for a vocabulary vocabulary lesson or even a lesson in Hebrew. But this word is actually very important. This word selim is translated in Genesis chapter 1 as the word image. But in other places in the Bible, it is also the same word and it's translated as idol. An idol. Idol is typically when you say idol in church, I mean, the Bible, in the Bible, idol is typically a bad word. Uh, but, but look what it actually is. An idol is an image that is crafted to represent God to the people who would look at it. You can think of some examples in the Bible, can't you? Uh, in Scripture where this happened, uh, even. You know, uh, remember the golden calf that was set up by Aaron and his wife Miriam when Moses is up on the mountain talking to the God. They're making an idol of a golden calf down below the mountain to represent God. All that kind of stuff. But the whole point is, it's that it's an image that is meant, watch, to reflect God to the world. That people would be able to look at that idol and they would understand what God looks like. It's a representation. It's an image. Now, interestingly, the Hebrew people at that time are the only ancient people who are specifically commanded over and over and over again not to make an image of God. Why? 
because he already did it himself. The world was already full of walking, talking images that were meant to reflect what God looked like to the world around them. You know what the world was already full of? People. You know why we don't need pictures of God hanging up on the wall? The world is already full of them. It's us. Well, was God black or was he white? You don't need a picture. It's us. Come on, amen. It's us. Created in his image. You were created in the image of God. You were designed. Listen to me, church. You were designed to reflect the divine. You think about that. That's how you were designed. God's original intent for us was that we would reflect God to the world around us. You were designed to reflect the divine. See, the lie of our day. I'm going after it now. Okay, so the great lie of our day is that identity is determined by us. The great lie of our day is that I determine who I am. That my identity comes from within. But we actually need to understand our identity is not self-determined. That's not the problem. The problem is this, that your God-given identity has actually been stolen. You've been ripped off. It's been taken away from you. And so what we try to do and find identity in all the other places, all these other labels, oh my God, all these other relationships, but our identity is not self-determined. No, no, no. The bigger problem, the truer problem, is that your identity is the one that God gave you and it's been stolen away from you. In fact, if you go all the way back to the story we're reading about in the book of Genesis, excuse me, my voice is a little, throat is a little, I didn't preach for the last two years. No, I'm just kidding. Huh? <laughs> we see that God created everything, but the culmination of creation, all of creation, is when God creates humankind. And he forms Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground. And what does he do? He gives them, think about this, dominion over everything and tells them, everything, guys, that I have created, it's all for you. Cultivate it. Use it. Take dominion over it. It's all for you. It's all for your enjoyment. And then he says, of all the things that I've created, there's only one thing. One, one, one tree that you ought not to eat from. In the garden, there were two trees, the tree of life, which they can have. Then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God tells them about that tree. If you eat of this tree, that's the one when you do it, you will surely die. And, and so don't miss this. When humankind is given the choice between life and death, they choose death. 
That is totally amazing to me. And so what happens in this story is that they eat from that tree. And you have to stop and ask yourself why. Why in the world would they do such a dumb thing? It's only because they began to doubt who God created in them to be. In Genesis 3, you read the story, Satan slithers his ugly little self into the story, and he begins to lie to Eve. He gets her to question who God created her to be. And here's what he, he tells her. You won't die. If you eat of that tree that, that God told you not to eat from, you won't die. But God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, now stop right there. Time out. What's the lie? She's already like God. She was made in the image of God. She's already like him. That's not even in question. She already reflects God to the world around her. And what Satan says is, you won't die. God lied to you because God knows you will be like him when you eat it. And the Bible says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so she took the fruit, ingested it, ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, the Bible says their eyes were open. But that's not actually what happened. Because their vision in that moment actually becomes skewed. Their vision in that moment is now compromised. Their vision in that moment is actually stolen and is destroyed. And they no longer see themselves the way God sees them. Now, how do I know that? Because they suddenly feel shame at their nakedness. For the very first time, humankind feels like they're not enough. And so they feel shame at their nakedness. You know the story. They sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves. That's unbelievable. They cover their image and literally hide from God. The God who they've been walking with, the God whom they've been enjoying a relationship with, they've been in community with him. They hide from him because they feel shame. And by the way, be clear about something. Shame did not exist in the world that God created. But they begin to feel themselves differently, see themselves differently than the way God sees them. This is actually the very first time in Scripture that we see on display what is later described in John chapter 10, verse 10, where the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's oldest tactic in the war against mankind is to get us to question who God created us to be. That's his oldest tactic. And his tactics have not changed. It's literally the oldest trick in the book. He attacks identity. He suggests to Eve, 
How God made you and what God gave you is really not enough for you, Sister Eve. And ever since that moment in Genesis 3, we live in the same reality. We have been convinced that God, how God made us and what God gave us is not enough. And what happens is that once that seed of doubt is planted in their minds, it grows, <coughs> excuse me, into disobedience. And they end up doing things they were never designed to do. And so in this moment, instead of reflecting God, they end up rejecting God, which, by the way, still happens today. Instead of reflecting God like we were created to do, we often end up rejecting God. Adam and Eve, think about this, go from walking with God unashamed and free, and then they're covering themselves. They're ashamed of who and what they have become, and they hide from God, all because sin distorted God's image in their lives. They no longer see themselves the way God sees them. It's like, go, have you ever done this? Go into the fun house at the state fair, and you got in that fun house, a bunch of stuff, but you've always got those mirrors. Come on, amen. I love to stand in front of the mirror that makes me look tall and skinny. But then you move over one mirror and it makes you look short and fat, you know, and you go, oh my God, you take the skinny one home with me, put it up on my bathroom. I'm fine with that, you know, that kind of thing. But the other one, forget it. That's sort of the idea. Some mirrors make you look differently and you will stand in front of that particular mirror or whatever and try to figure out how you can get one of those mirrors home that make you look like you should look, you know. And others make you look like I say, well, just distort it. And it's crazy, but the whole point is that they distort your image. That's not how you really look. We don't see in them what we really look like. And this morning, I just need to tell you, that's the same thing that happens in life. The way we see ourselves has been so distorted. It's like going into that fun house. It really is. This is not entirely unlike what happens to us because of sin and shame and brokenness and abuse and any number of things. You know what all those things do in our lives? It distorts our God-given image. It has distorted our God-given identity. And we no longer reflect God to the world around us, either the way we can or the way that we should. Now, aren't you happy you came to church today? No, 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 no. I'm actually here to tell you there's some good news for the believer and the non-believer alike. And here's the good news. Because even though your God-given identity has been stolen, what you need to understand is that your identity, the one that God gave you, even though it's been stolen by Satan through sin and disobedience, it can be recovered, and there's only one way for you to do it. Your identity can be recovered in Christ Jesus. 
the identity that God gave you, the way he wanted you to be, the way he meant for you to be, the way he designed for you to be, to reflect him to the world around you, it's been stolen from you by Satan and by sin. But your identity can be recovered and it can be restored in the person of Jesus. Now, that's the good news for us today. And listen, we're, I'm going to tell you, you need to understand who you are. You are loved. You are chosen. You are special. You are anointed. Come on. You are handcrafted by the king of the universe. You are something significant. <clears throat> and we need to understand that. We need to understand who we are in Christ. But even more importantly than that, theologically, that the only way to recover your identity is in the person and the work of Jesus. I do re remind you, want to remind you of who you are. But let's not forget it's actually who you are in Christ. Our true identity can only be recovered in Christ. And, and I genuinely had a hard time this, uh, picking the scriptures that I was going to share with you this morning around this idea about our identity in Christ because there are so, so, so very many of them in the New Testament. So much of the New Testament is, who we, uh, is about who we are in Christ. So let me quickly remind you today of some of the verses you might not fully understand, but I want them today to somehow take root in your heart. Take root in your mind and in your life uh, and, and, and walk out of here a little bit different. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Therefore, it says, if anyone is in Christ, which, by the way, just pause right there for a second and, and let me tell you. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. There, there's no in-between. You're in Christ. You have a personal relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus or not. But the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And when we have a relationship with Jesus, we discover, or better put it this way, we rediscover who we were created to be. It's in Christ. It's in Christ we uh, uh, we. Uh, we discover our true identity. Our real identity is not self-determined. Our real identity doesn't come from within. Our real identity is not found in sin or disobedience. It's not found in doing our own thing or declaring our own truth. Come on, amen. Nor is it found in whatever makes you happy at the moment. It's not found in the law. It's not even found in religious observance. It's not found in any of those things. Our true identity, what we're longing for, what we're looking for, your true identity is only found in grace. It's found in mercy. It's found in love. It's found in Jesus. And any label you put on yourself. Now, I'm going to step on a toe or two right now. Here we go. You ready? Black or white. Republican or Democrat, gay, all those are labels that go contrary to who you are in Christ. You were made, oh my God, your, your melatonin is not the issue. 
You were made in the image of the great creator self. Come on. Come on. All the others. I'm a grandfather. Okay, great. But that's not who I, I was made in the image. I'm handsome. I know it. I, you know it. I know it. But that's not who I am. Come on. Do you understand? That's a label I just gave to myself that most people would not agree with. My truth. You, you understand what I'm saying? We were created. Come on. Come on. The enemy has stolen something from us. Our identity is in him and him alone. Case closed. Our identity is in the fact that Jesus saw us in our poor and helpless state. He had compassion on us. He extended grace to us. And it's not just grace, but grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Your identity is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And any label, oh, God, help us hear this this morning, you put on yourself will always fall short. You just shortened it. It's bigger than that. You just missed the mark. It's bigger than your label. Our identity is in him. See, Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be reconciled back to God. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are infinitely valuable. You are more loved than you will ever know. You are pursued and you're adored by the God of the universe. And if we could just understand that, man, it would change everything. If we could understand that, who we are in Christ. You know what? The truest thing about you is what God says about you. Not what other people say. What God says about you. And for too long, oh God. And more than ever before, do you, would you agree with me? It seems like the whole earth, Satan run part of the earth, is out to divide us against each other like never before. Amen. I'm so sick of it, I can hardly stand it. Yes. Come on, amen. If we just understood, listen, the more we understand who we are in Christ, those labels just fall off. Hallelujah. Come on. The more time you spend with him, the less any label will stick. Thank you, Jesus. He made you. You're his. The more you understand who you are in Christ, the more you will live out your life the way it was supposed to be and designed to be and why you were created. And we really need to understand this today because our identity problem is that we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. See, a huge part of the Christian life once you begin a relationship with Jesus, basically becomes restoring our identity in Christ. Amen. Figuring out, that's why a connect class is so important, figuring out who we were really meant to be. Just imagine, if you would, for a moment, a piece of artwork. Maybe, I've been to Rome. 
uh, the catacombs, not the catacombs, but uh, the, the, the chapels and everything with paintings on the ceiling and everything, uh, our artwork on the walls in, in, in uh, Amsterdam and all that. And you see a beautiful painting in, in, or something like that. But something that would be considered a masterpiece, a Rembrandt, a Van Gogh, famous artist, a Da Vinci. And I want you to picture in your mind for a moment, and, and depending on how old that painting is, the reality could be that what was originally created by that artist over time, that image has been marred, it's been dirty, it's been sullied, it's been tarnished, and you can't really see it in all of its splendor, the painting that is really there, because over time, there's dirt, and there's grime, and there's discoloration, and all the mess that comes from walking in this life. And it so distracts from the beauty of the original image. And now, it's just a remnant of what it was originally the beauty that it once was when it was created. And so you can see it, and it actually might seem beautiful, but it's nothing like what it was supposed to be, nothing what it, like it was originally meant to be. But there are people, and I love this, that's why I showed you the little clip, with the right focus, with the right passion, with the right skill, who can restore those distorted images, who can take what has been built up over time on top of time, whatever's been built up on top of that, uh, that image, and to actually help us see what was originally intended. There are those who have the ability to peel back the layers of time and dirt and age, and you can actually begin to see more clearly the image that was intended. And I just wanna help us understand for a moment today that the very same thing is true of you and I. The image of God that is in us, that has been distorted and marred and dirtied by time and, listen, by sin, and all those things in life that would, the world brings along, every hurt, every slander, every smack down, every offense, all built up over time. And you're not the original image that God created you to be. It's been distorted. It's possible for that image to be restored in such a way that we actually begin to, the world around us, reflect in the world around us, the image of God that he designed for us. One more verse before I sit down in the book of Ephesians as we end this morning that I want to point out to you. By the way, you might know this verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and it says this, For we are God's masterpiece. In fact, let me personalize that for you this morning because it's easier 
to say it when you're saying about somebody else. I am God's masterpiece. You, dear one, are God's masterpiece. Do you, do you know what the definition of that word masterpiece? It actually means crowning achievement. You are God's crowning achievement. Do you believe that? I, honestly, most of us don't. It, it's sometimes, most times, hard to say those words. I am God's ma master. I am God's crowning achievement. Through a relationship with Jesus, God has created us anew so that we could do good things that he planned for us long ago. Why? So that we might reflect, as we were designed to do, dear one, the image of God to the world around us. You have a God-given identity. And that identity has been stolen. You've been ripped off. But it can be recovered in the name of Jesus Christ today. When you understand who you are in Christ, that we finally represent the world around us, God himself, the exact way it was meant to be in the beginning. You are God's crowning achievement. Did I need to say that again? Listen, you are God's crowning achievement. So live like it. Come on, amen. Live like it. Walk out of here and live like it. In Christ Jesus. Come on, amen. Amen. Take it back. Take it back. Your identity was stolen. I'm getting it back. In Christ Jesus. My identity is not white. My identity is not... Uh, I'm trying to think of whatever, some label, what? Male. Male. Yeah. My identity is in Christ Jesus. I'm who he created me to be. I don't care what you think about me. I know what he thinks about me. Thank you very much. And I'm just going about reflecting the image of God in the world that I live in everywhere I go. Yes. Now the world, I'm, I know this, not dumb, the world wants to divide us. Amen. Yeah. yeah, tell you, uh-huh, mm-mm, you can't, mm-mm, sorry. And by the way, I don't care what label it is, if it goes contrary to the way you were made, and by the way, you know that because it's even listed in the Bible what God accepts, male and female. I mean, what take this wherever you want. If it goes contrary to the word of God, it's not a part of how you were made. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do I need to spell that out? Yes, sir. Come on. But see, everybody's got... I mean, you've got people now that scientists even, that's why I have a hard time believing some scientists, that there's 123 different genders. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not who God created you to be. He created you 
in his image. Aren't you glad?